welcome to All About Animals Radio. Today we are very happy to introduce Susan Sayer, who is an internationally renowned researcher and author. We're going to talk about seals today, seals around the British coastline, around Cornwall. We've got a lot to learn and Sue has spent over 20 years, thousands of hours observing seals in the wild from land and sea in Cornwall. And I'm sure many people love Cornwall, it's a beautiful place. Um, Sue's going to tell us more about seals because apparently there's nothing that's average about each seal. They're all different, they have different personalities, there's a range of habitats, there are different species, and there is a migration route around the Celtic Sea that we're going to learn more about. Sue founded the Cornwall Seal Group Research Trust, and this is nothing small. This is a multi-award winning conservation charity. Um, and it works with everyone from British divers to the RSPCA to sanctuaries. Um, and Sue herself has won an MBE or been rather been awarded an MBE for having such a major role in all this wonderful conservation. Now, when we look at seals, we all think they're cute and lovely, but we actually don't know much about them. And we live on an island, so I think we need to know a lot more and know what is happening now, because obviously times are changing a bit with the climate. Um, people are much more aware. And so I think we've got an awful lot to talk about here. So hi, Sue. Hello, very nice to meet you, Yvonne. Thank you. What can you tell us more about your lovely group, what they do? Okay, so um, basically I started the group back in the year 2000 when I started surveying seals. I didn't know anything about seals in 1999 and uh, suddenly when you become passionate about something you learn a lot very quickly. So it's taken me to some utterly amazing places. In recent years I would say that my philosophy has been influenced by something called the Ecozoic. Uh, and that's an era when we suddenly realise as humans that we are a species amongst a planetary ecosystem of ecosystem of other habitats and species that we depend on for our own survival. So our survival is intrinsically linked with all the other habitats and species. And that's a big shift from where we were, or perhaps maybe where we still are, is the, the concept of being a steward for nature. We are not a steward for nature. We are nature. We need to accept that our survival depends on it. So it's it's about us sharing our world with nature and wildlife. It's fundamentally critical. We're a very small charity. So we started as Cornwall Seal Group. We became Cornwall Seal Group Research Trust in 2015 when we registered with the Charity Commission. And now we're actually called Seal Research Trust. We have two names uh, because Seal Research Trust is more inclusive and it reflects our international and national work much better. We're tiny. We have 1.3 full-time equivalent rangers, but we have hundreds of volunteers in places like Germany, Iceland, America. You know, remote digital volunteering is something that's been a COVID silver lining, really. And those people are our biggest asset. You know, we can't do anything without them. Um, and they're the reason I was able to get an MBE because it's our team effort that's enabled the data we've collected to become important evidence to make a difference for the species. So it's fundamental. And just so that you get a kind of flavour of what our work involves in 2021, and I'm sorry the 2022 data is not ready yet, but we did um, 14 surveys every single day of the year. We had a, hundred, a quarter of a million photos, pretty much, that we took right. and processed for 13,000 seal IDs. 
seven of the seals that I first met in the year 2000 were still going. And actually, I've seen four of them in 2023 already. So I'm very excited about that. However, there were issues. 134 different seals were entangled in stuff, mostly fishing gear. And there were almost 1,500 seals seriously disturbed in Cornwall in 2021 in 282 incidents. Um, And that's something that we work hard to try and mitigate. Uh, The key thing is, though, that we told 13,000 people about seals and, uh, you know, hopefully they found them really interesting. But in 2022, we smashed that to 26,000. So that's because we've been doing a lot more stuff online. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, the key aspect of our work really is we can only help seals if we work with people. And the best way to work with people is to work in partnership. Can I just ask you? Loads of groups. When, when you say you've got all these volunteers abroad, it's something I never yeah. realised. So what are they doing? Are they monitoring the species? Do, 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 do seals stay in the same area? Do we have seals that just stay around our coast? Do they look at certain seals? How, how is this all linked together? How do you guys link together with it? Okay, so basically our volunteers do a range of different things. Okay, they some of them live locally and will survey locally. Okay. They take photos all of which have to be processed. So we look at every photo that's taken and we try to compare that seal's unique fur patterns with ones we have in our catalogues. And that can be done anywhere in the world. You don't have to live locally to do that. So how many species of seals are you dealing with? Two main species. They're two native heritage species. We've got grey and common seals, which I can tell you about if you'd like me to. And in addition, we're starting to get vagrant seals. I don't know if you've heard, but we've had walrus in seven. Yes, good old Thor, poor old Freya. Yes. Yeah, Freya, Thor and Wally we had in the Isles. Yes, of of course. Yeah, so there have been three in the last two years, really, and there will be more. We've also had the occasional harp and hooded seal, which are Arctic species as well. So, uh, yeah, but mostly greys with some commons in the southwest region. So if the seals in, say, another country, I read yesterday, there were many seals um, being killed because of some disease that they just had. Um I take it then that because seals in other countries are getting these diseases, does it threaten the seals here because of, say, for instance, their food maybe migrates, you know, the fish or something else? Or when a seal population somewhere else in the world gets something, are you then, you know, very worried? Or do you think that's okay? it's not okay, but it's somewhere else? Or do these animals, you know, like we see all the bird flu affecting various animals? You know, can it travel with seals? Okay, so there's a lot there to unpack. I'm just going to take it one step at a time. Basically, let's look at the grey and common seals that we have. So grey seals only live in the North Atlantic for a start off. They don't they don't exist anywhere else in the world, just the North Atlantic. And we've got 38 percent of the world's population in the UK. But There are still more red squirrels in the UK than there are grey seals. So this is not a massive number of grey seals okay common seals or harbour seals they're two names uh harbour seals we've got around 30 percent of the european population in the uk 
So the species that we have are really important. Grey seals in particular are a bit like our equivalent of an African elephant. You know, if people if we want to go and see African elephants on safari, we need local people to look after them. And likewise, we need to be doing something similar for our grey seals in Cornwall. But it's not really about saving seals or saving the sea. This is all about us saving ourselves because we need seals as top predators to manage an ecosystem. The marine ecosystem is vital for our own survival. So, you know, the whole thing is linked up. And then go to go to your next point about how joined up are various seal populations. Well, when I started, I thought my life was going to be relatively easy because <laughs> I didn't think not with animals. No. <laughs> yeah, how wrong could I have been? So now seals from one site in Cornwall, which is my my study site that I've been surveying twice a week since two thousand, seals from my site have travelled. 650 uh, sorry start again 450 kilometers north to the Isle of Man they have also been seen in North Wales South Wales Southeast Ireland Arzacilli not surprisingly and then northern France oh as well as Devon and Dorset so that seals from one site however if you take Cornwall as a whole we've also had a seal who has traveled 800 kilometres from southern France, Bayritz to be precise. It did that in less than 28 days and it was a few months old. And we've also had two harbour seals who are not supposed to travel as far as grey seals, but they obviously haven't read the rule book (laughs) because two of them, one came from Belgium and one came from Holland and Holland is 650 kilometres away. So in the 20 years we've been doing this, we've linked up 450 kilometres north, 800 kilometres to the south and 650 kilometres to the west. So this is a, you know, hugely mobile. Both of the species are hugely mobile. Is this because of um, food? You know, is it or would this be a normal thing if if, they, if the ocean was lovely and there's plenty of food, would they still travel? So you obviously ask a very astute question because you understand about animals. The main drivers for seals are going to be food and genes, for sure. So, yes, it's to do with food. And the theory I have, and it's not science, but the theory I have is basically a young seal will swim looking for food. If it finds a good patch of food really quickly, it will stop and feed. It knows instinctively that it can't keep eating fish in the same place because ultimately it will run out. So it develops over time a range of different sites that it rotates seasonally every year in its life. If therefore it finds a quick patch of food, moves on, finds a quick patch of food, moves on, finds a quick patch of food, it'll have a small range. But I'm thinking the Isle of Man seal, she was probably born in the Isle of Man, swam south, and the first good patch of fish she found was a long way away from home. And then she had to keep swimming a long way away again and eventually ended up in Cornwall. So she had a big range because she didn't hit the good patches of food as quickly. So seals. Now, this is obviously they're a big part of the ecosystem in the ocean. So are they both prey and predator? Because we do have orca in the UK. So is is that right would they they would be both yes i mean orca in the uk are in trouble to be fair because of pollutants but yeah. uh, nevertheless we've had orca in cornwall and, uh, yeah absolutely we've had them several years running um but whether they are the fish 
eating orca or the seal eating orca we have yet to discover but right. they are mostly preyed upon and it's not praise not not quite the right word by us in that we have a huge impact on their numbers and uh in various ways which i can go into later we need to talk about that and that's the big one isn't it because that's what's on everybody's mind and I'm probably like you, I watch these COP conferences and then sigh afterwards because not a lot changes. Um, and, you know, as everybody says, you know, the oceans are our life. And I, I always, always um, ask anybody to please join the dots on the ocean with our existence. And we do need a big end to industrial fishing because it just seems that we're always seeing wildlife of all kinds, not just seals, in tangled up fishing gear. And obviously you've got the um, surface against sewage. You've got um, various other places going out, taking up so much netting and stuff. I just wondered, from your point of view, have you seen anything from the fishing industry? Or, you know, are they are they coming together as well with everybody to try and clean it up? I it's think, a quick no, that's fine. <laughs> no, no, it's not a quick no, because I'm very keen to work with fishers. You know, we're yeah. not going to solve any of our issues by not working with fishers, for sure. Well, well that's what I think. But I just They're want part to of the happening. solution. Yeah. And they can be the very best of conservationists because they're out there all the time. Um, if we can work together for sure. So, that you know, I don't have an issue about it. But I think if more fishers did beach cleans, they would be more aware of what needs to be done for sure. Um, and no fisher ever wants to or wants to catch any marine mammal or any other species, be it a seabird or whatever. They don't want to do that, but it's an, an, an inevitable accidental bycatch yeah. issue. But we don't just have bycatch with seals. And I had a sh shocking statistic that last year that 85 percent of UK seal bycatch happens in the southwest, 85 percent, which thoroughly confuses all the authorities because they don't think we've got that many seals here. So that's really interesting um, in itself. But we also have live entanglement. Um, right. because seals are very curious creatures if you've encountered one in the wild you will know they're very playful and they learn through play as a youngster so they play with anything that's in the water column and if it's a line of trawl net or if it's uh you know sorry if it's a net floating they'll play with it like a mattress uh or or if it's a line then they or a net a monofilament net they will just you know swim over it out round it under it and then through it and then they're caught up right. uh, and their panic response is unfortunately to spin and when you spin, that often makes matters worse. So, yeah, they're really big issues for our seals. And I can give you a bit of data if you're interested on those. I, th I think we need to know because otherwise people don't know what an issue it is, you know, how yeah. much of an issue it is. Yeah. So um, in I mean, our data goes back a long way. But basically, since 2011, approximately three to five percent. Um, that's a fib three to sorry, two to four percent of all the seals that we have seen at my site two to four percent are entangled of all the ones that we see. And in 2014, that meant 55 different seals. In 2016, we had a bit of a step jump up to 104. And then, as I said, by 2021, we had 134 different entangled seals. Uh, and that's hideous. It's the second highest rate of entanglement 
for any phocid seal species anywhere in the world. And oh, phocid yeah, seals bad. are the ones that don't have ear flaps. Right. So, so, that's, we need, so we do need to do an awful lot better and it'd be nice yeah. if the fishing industry came to the table. Yeah. Well, we just need to work better. But there is also something else that's a new and emerging issue with entanglement, and that's flying rings. So, you know, the toys that are often called Frisbees, but I guess yeah. that's the manufacturer's name. If you imagine those, we play with them on beaches. They always used to be a solid disc like a plate. Yeah. And now they're a ring with a hole in the middle. And a okay. lot of dogs enjoy playing with them. Yeah. So we've got a shocking number that have been collected off a single beach in Cornwall uh, in the last two years. And it's just, I can't believe there are that many in such a small space. And we started getting seals caught up in flying rings. So it, last year we had a big campaign uh, along with Friends of Horsey Seals, which are on the East Coast in Norfolk. They started the campaign and did a great job, but trying to campaign to get manufacturers, well, not manufacturers, but big retailers to stop selling them. Uh, and for people to stop using the rings and only use the solid disc. So it's don't don't stop playing. It's a great thing to do, but play with a solid disc rather than a ring. That's one of those things that people just probably it just wouldn't even occur. Never I'm occurred sure to us. No. If they knew, if we if we all spread the message a bit more, post anything on social media, then you know, and and gave it to I don't know where all the big beaches are, you know, your borders, yeah. your wherever else you know you call yeah. and devons then actually a few people spreading the word might just make quite a big difference yeah well the, good news, the kids want to lose their, their stuff as well no well it's actually they never do it deliberately but how many of us are good enough at throwing that it goes where we want <laughs> to go you know but right through, it'll probably go in the water i have to say tesco's have taken them off their shelves oh, uh, good. pets at home have taken them off their shelves and cvs vets have stopped selling them and uh, we're now approaching other companies to try and do the same. And Norfolk, one of the Norfolk councils have banned them on their beaches. So we're starting to make some really good progress with that. And I've just written to Crofts in the hope that Crofts will um, maybe feature it because that kind of high profile coverage would make a hell yes. of a difference. But we have volunteers. One of our volunteers is currently delivering posters to every single vet practice in Cornwall. Oh, my goodness. Do you know, that is a really simple thing. I'm sure a lot of people would be happy just to, if there was a downloadable poster, I mean, I would easily do it, take it to yep. my local vets and just ask them to put on the notice board. I'm sure they wouldn't mind at all. Yes. Yeah. So one of do. the things that's in one of those Google Drive links that I've got for you, that I've yeah. shared with you, if you want to use it, there's a campaign resources for flying rings and there's, there's all of our resources in there, including the poster. Brilliant. I'll do that. That's really good. Right. The, the seals themselves... Tell us a bit about their personalities. Okay, so they're amazing. Um, basically, I think I'd been studying them about 10 years before I began to realise just how incredible their behaviour is. So they're a mammal like us. Mm -hmm. They feel hot and cold like we do, but they have fat all the way from their heads down to their bottoms. They don't have fat on their heads, their flippers, fore and back. So okay. when cold water comes in, when the tide's rising and a cold wave hits them, they go <laughs> just like we do on their seat <laughs> between their legs. I can't imagine go, that. Like this. And they do a banana. Oh, my so goodness. They get all their sensitive bits where they've got no blubber to protect them out of the water and they do a banana. Oh, bless. That's lovely. They can sleep in the land or they can sleep 
in the sea. And when they're sleeping in the sea, they bottle. Now, if this is the surface of the water and they stick their nose up above the water and they take a few breaths. So their nostrils are shut when they're relaxed. They have to use their muscles to open their nostrils, obviously, because they're a water animal. They take a few breaths and then they breath hold and they automatically sink until the carbon dioxide levels build up in their bloodstream and they have a rear flipper reflex that twitches and brings them back to the surface to take a few breaths and then they sink twitch back to the surface so they can sleep in the water by bottling or some of them log they prefer to lie horizontally at the surface to sleep their heart rate 1000 no start again 120 beats a minute is their usual heart rate but 15 seconds before they dive, they make a conscious decision to dive. They slow their heart rate to as low as four beats a minute and they pull all their blood from their periphery into their core, basically stopping their circulation. And that's how they avoid the bends. That's incredible. But it means that if we shock them into entering the sea too quickly, not only do they get cold shock, but they also are not physically prepared to dive. Ah, well, that's a really good bit of information. I don't think anybody would have dreamt about that. No. Goodness. And then a couple of other things. Basically, their favourite food is small stuff. So most of the most of the species that they eat are sand eels or dragonets from sandy or gravelly substrates. So most of the food they eat, we never get to see. Okay. However, if they catch a big fish, they can't possibly eat it underwater because they won't go down in one and they'll end up choking themselves with water. So they have to bring it to the surface and eat it at the surface. And that makes them very unpopular with fishes, as you can imagine, because it looks like they've got the best fish. And uh, yeah, that's another story. Uh, And then adult females, they are light and spotty. So you can tell 80% of them anyway, light and spotty with really light bellies. And they pup every single year and there's no menopause. Whereas males tend to be darker and plainer in terms of their fur, darker and plainer. And most males are non-breeding. Really? Yes. They have beach masters who are the dominant males and uh, they compete through their lifetimes to build a pecking order and then they become a beach master. But most males are non-breeding. So what do they do? Well, they eat. Well, they have to swim to catch food. So swim, eat, sleep swim eat sleep and play and play maybe maybe oh yeah they do do a bit of playing for sure and also we have a theory but again this is not science that they teach youngsters how to become seal so we have a role model role to play because the females are far too busy growing a pup having a pup feeding a pup growing a pup having a pup feeding a pup so I'm, i'm not sure that i'd want to be a female in seal society although they do rule females rule seal society i'm not sure that i would want to be that do they look like they live in families you know like an orca or something else do they look like they kind of are not just a load say you get a load of people at a bus stop you've got you know a load of seals on the beach it's like they actually want to be together they are interacting together you know they're part of each other's lives or are they just kind of together So I think the word is the dichotomy. They live their life in two halves. They are solitary creatures. So they spend most of their time on their own, except when they choose to come out on land. 
and they come out on land one of one in every four days to digest their food. So it's a vital life function that they're out on land resting because they can shut more of their brain down on land than they can in the sea. So if they sleep on land, it's more restful for them and more effective for their digestion. They come on land. They like being in a group. And presumably the biology behind that is that they're more, you know, there's more eyes to look for predators Mm -hmm. and risks. So it's safer to haul out on land where they are most vulnerable and to do that in a group. But you watch um, individuals arriving on the beach and they'll do a bit of stretching. They'll do a dog shake, you know, to get the water off and they'll they'll do a bit of stretching and yawning. Then they'll see lots of sniffing, see who else is on the beach. So their sense of smell is very much like that of a dog's and they can recognise each other. I'm pretty sure about that from their sense of smell, because sometimes you'll see a seal go up to another seal and it will go, oh, that's a nice smell. I recognise you. And they'll do a bit of sniffing and then they'll settle down. Other times you'll see a seal come up and it'll sniff one. It'll go, whoa, (laughs) oh, I'm not sure about you. Yes, I think maybe I had an altercation with you last time I met you. I'm off. No, bless them. (laughs) So, but no, I don't think they live in families. However, having said that, everyone, wildlife's never that simple, is it? No. So they don't apparently live in families. However, females are supposed to have their pup at the site they were born at. Okay. So they presumably meet their sisters and aunts and stuff when they're having their pups because they are the same place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And males presumably breed elsewhere, although the science suggests that maybe inbreeding is less of an issue for seals than it is for other species. So that's quite interesting. And while we're just talking about pups, did you know that um, they do delayed implantation? So like other species, such as badgers. So what happens is the the female has a pup, but she only feeds it for three days. Sorry, three weeks. She only feeds it for three weeks. Okay. And the pup puts on 10 kilos a week from her very fat, rich milk. By the time she weans her pup at three weeks, she is physically emaciated because she's given a third of her body weight to her pup. But she mates at that point with the beach master who has protected her for the last three weeks. She mates, but she can't sustain a pregnancy. So basically her um, egg has been fertilized, but it doesn't implant. Only if she gets fat and fit over the next three months will that blastocyst implant and start to grow into a seal pup. Otherwise, she wouldn't survive, would she? No. Then her gestation is approximately eight months. So she has a pup on an annual 12 month cycle. How long do they live? Good question. Um, Honest answer. I really don't know. But the books say average for a male, 25 years and average for a female, 30. But as you know, average life expectancy means nothing. Um, And um, yeah, I've just started to get to the point where we might be being able to check whether that's right or not. I mean, that's that's a big old toll on the females, isn't it? I mean, that really is, you know, to do that for 30 years would would. Well, that would be quite extraordinary. So can I tell you about our most amazing world record breaking? Well, we think she's world record breaking anyway, female. Uh, It's a lovely story and it's a bit of a love story. So basically, um, she had her first pup that I'm aware of in 2003 on my beach. By my beach, I mean the beach that I survey regularly. And then the follow, we'd never seen her before. The following year, she had a pup on the adjacent beach and she has had a pup 
19 pups in 20 years on those beaches bar one okay Okay. So she's a prolific pupper. You know, she's a relatively old female now. So she must have been seven in 2003. So she was born at probably 1994. So she's got to be getting on for how old is that? 30. Heck. And she's still, pupping. she's still pupping, which is incredible. But she had a boyfriend, okay, in inverted commas. So at her pupping site between 2011 and 2015, she had a beach master called DP2 Whiteback Sea. And uh, Whiteback Sea was an oldie, oldie, oldie boy. He was the oldest seal I'd ever seen. And he wasn't able to be a proper beach master anymore. He didn't have the energy or the, you know, or the strength probably to do it. So what he would do is he'd come in just the female was called Ghost admitted to tell you her name he would arrive just before ghost and he would uh protect her for three weeks and then she would mate with him and he would mate with her um he she wouldn't mate with any of the other males who tried to get a look in he would just just him and then she would leave and uh basically they mated for those 2011 to 2015 and it was lovely you know really nice to see uh however we didn't see much of him after 2015. I thought he was dead. And then he turned up on the south coast. But he came back to the same site, pupping site, in 2018. He was just a bit early. And she wasn't there yet. Oh, no. We didn't get to see <laughs> her in 2018. And then in 2019, neither of them came back to that beach. And it was like, oh, I think she's dead. Oh, no, I think she's dead. Why is she not come back? She's been back every year. Why is she not back this year? And we think, actually... It's another long story, but we think it was a result of storms the previous year. But that's another story. She did come back in 2019 and 2020 and he wasn't around. However, I'm waiting for the happy ending here. (laughs) He was back in 2021 in the right month at the right beach. And where was she? No. Down on the south coast, caught short. And she had a pup on the south coast. Oh, She's been back in 2022, and of course he hasn't. So it's like he was back for a last hurrah, and where was she? Somewhere <laughs> else. So who knew, you see, when I started all this, how complicated seal lives could be? I guess with all the storms as well. I mean, if that that's got to be difficult, if that happens when they, you know, when the pups are born or anything else, especially as they're, more severe these days um you know that's got to be a bit more of a catastrophe as well I don't I expect I mean how does how does that work for them so it's a very good question uh, basically extreme weather events are having multiple effects on seals and storms are just one of them so you may have read in the press that storm Arwen washed over 800 pups yes. off St Abs one beach in one night so that's basically all those pups doomed None of them will survive unless they re- reconnect with their mums or they get lucky and a female adopts them. But chances are most of them will have perished. Um, and that happened, obviously, all the way down the East Coast. Um, the story about the storm in 2017 for us was we had Storm Ophelia and Storm Brian washed loads of pups away from their mothers that year. And the following year, we had a third drop in pup numbers. And we think that tracked back to the storms the previous years, because basically mums lose their pups 
their hormones get messed up and out of sync. They wow. don't mate at the right time, so they don't have a pup the following year. I see. So it is a real catastrophe. Yeah, so that's a catastrophe. But then also these extreme weather events that we've been getting this year, we've suddenly discovered three new impacts of those. And there are more than three. Okay. Basically, well, actually, I'm going to mention four. Four storms, ground swells in the sea, rip up fishing gear, more lost fishing gear, more entanglement. OK. Second thing with pups uh, and mums and adults for, for stop is we have more coastal erosion because of the storms. Mm -hmm. Rock falls on um, haul out beaches, displace all the seals, uh, kill some of them and add to already high levels of disturbance. And we've also discovered that seals don't like hammering rain and hail, really sharp hail. Now, the reason behind this, we think, is because their faces are very sensitive. Every whisker, and they have 43 to 44 pairs, has 1,500 nerve endings. Goodness we have me. approximately 2,500 nerve endings on our palm. And so their faces, their muzzles are more sensitive than our hands. So if hail and hammering rain sting us, they're going to sting their faces too. And the shock. So they'll just head, head, head into the sea. So we've got coastal erosion and rock falls, hammering rain and hail, all adding to disturbance levels that are already very, very high, in addition to all the anthropogenic disturbance that we're causing. You see, everybody thinks that because wildlife survive in the wild, they're, they're, they're tough. They can almost, you know, they're almost super, super, aren't they? And the fact that they can take and withstand everything. And the first yeah. thing people say is they're built to take it. Yeah. But they're not, are they? Well, and people say that's nature. You know, that's how nature works. Well, unfortunately, what is what is nature and what is wild anymore? And this you know, brings us back affected, to your initial point, doesn't yeah, it? We've affected everything so much. And now with climate change, everything is constantly changing. I mean, the one thing I can't really get over is, is a seal. Life as a seal, you have no control over your environment whatsoever. If you don't like your environment, the only thing you can do is move, swim away. And it's not that easy, is it? It's like, where do they go oh. for safety? They don't, do they know where to go? You oh. kind of, you, for marine animals, you kind of think that the ocean is full of paths. And, you know, when I've been scuba diving, you, you know, you, you go to certain spots and there's the gardens and, you know, underwater and gullies and anything else. And the, the wildlife that you see, if it's a fish or a turtle, they all seem to know where they're going. And you you do sort of think they've got tracks and paths and everything else. However, um, the oceans are huge. They can't know everything. You know, they don't, they don't have Google, they don't have SatNav or anything else. And yet it is that case, isn't it, that the, the extreme weather can really change what they're dealing with as well, isn't it? It's a, it's a roadblock yeah. sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the, the you know, basically, if you've got a groundswell, it will change the shape of the seabed anyway. And in addition to that, we've got flooding that makes all the water murky. So if they navigate by sight, and let's face it, they probably don't just navigate by sight and following bathymetry. But if they do, they can't see. And this is a real problem for young seals. They've got to teach themselves to feed because their mothers never teach them what to eat or how to catch it. Really? So they've got to learn themselves. And this is why we think males might have a role in this, teaching seals how to be seals and you know how to catch and stuff. But um, basically, they use their whiskers 
and their eyesight to find prey, whiskers mostly. But if there's if the water is full of sediment, they can't feel prey. Oh they goodness, the, the water's I've been in waters around the UK and you can't see in front of your face. I mean no, it's exactly. very murky. You know exactly you find, what it's like. Yeah. If you can find one fish, it's amazing. But yeah. do they do they all the, the little ones go out together with some of the big ones, or are they literally on their own? They're literally on their own. So if I tell you the story about one um pup, I mean basically we don't satellite pup tag in Cornwall um, because it's a pretty invasive uh, technique. But in Wales, in North Wales, this little pup was satellite tagged by the Sea Mammal Research Unit. She was three weeks old. And uh, at four weeks, she left the beach. She was in North Wales. She went north to Anglesey, so not very far, before she went southeast, southwest, apologies, to um, Ireland. Then she went to the Scillies. Then she went to Brittany in northern France before she was rescued on the south coast of England in Cornwall on the lizard weight, which you're familiar with. Yeah. And uh, basically in 12 weeks, she was now 12 weeks old. In eight weeks, she'd done a thousand kilometers and routinely dived to 120 meters. So That's when they leave their mothers at three weeks, they're fully functioning. The only flaw in the plan is that their mothers didn't show them what to catch or how to eat, how to, what to eat or how to catch it. That's just incredible. Mind-blowing, isn't it? Mind-blowing. It is. That is absolutely amazing. Yeah. So let's talk about the efforts needed. I mean, your organisation and who you work with, I mean, it's vast. And is it a case of, if, if, you know, if you're near a local group, it makes a difference to volunteer. There's all kinds of jobs for all kinds of people. Yeah. And everything helps. And what would you like to see? You know, if if anybody could, you know, was interested in doing something, what would it be? So um, basically contact us, seals at cornwallsealgroup.co.uk and let's find out what you're interested in. We do run online volunteer training that you do in your own time. And it's not to recruit you. It's so that you can see if there's something that interests you in what we do to find out then if you would like to volunteer. Um, And then we do all sorts of things. So we do events. We need people to design posters and leaflets. We get people to do beach cleans. We get people to do pup watches. So that tends to be a local one. You know, most of that stuff I've mentioned, you don't need to be local for. But, you know, if you want to pup watch, uh, there's a seal that needs in a very public place and we need to manage people around it. Then we have people doing that. We have people going to events. Now, you don't have to go to an event on our patch. You can take our resources. We've got Google Drives of public resources. You can take them to your local event, print them out, take them, talk to people about seals. Um, You can um, tell your local school that Sue would like to do a zoom event for her for their local school um, and that, that would be lovely for school year two, all the way up to well i will do obviously to adults but year, year two upwards i get my finger puppets out and my, you know puppet seals and stuff and yeah we have a great time talking about seals so tell your local school if there's a conference and you think it's relevant for seals suggest that i go and do a zoom input for that Um, You know, all that kind of stuff, really. And then the other thing is, if you're really interested, this has floated your boat and you want to find out a bit more, then I've co-written two courses with the Field Studies Council as part of their Eco Skills Programme. The first course ran twice last year. It's called Discovering UK Seals. 
Um, we're currently trying to sort out a group booking for that because then everybody gets 50% discount, which is fabulous, isn't it? It's a four week online course and you study it in your own time, two, three week, two to three hours a week. Is that the um, Eco Skills comp? The Eco Skills? The Eco Skills course, yes. Uh, discovering UK skills. You do it all in your own time. You meet right. me once a week at the end of the end of each week, and it's only thirty quid if you do a group booking. So um, you know we really good. get thirty people. It's thirty quid. If not, the full price is sixty quid. But I mean, even so, uh, yeah. And I've started a second course, which is going to run this year as well, which is um, field skills to inform conservation. So join those courses, uh, sign up for our newsletter. We have a monthly newsletter that we send out. Uh, we do free Zoom monthly. We call them the Seal Southwest sessions, which is just literally a glorified name for all our favourite photos and sightings and stories of the month. And we do That's it. That's a lovely thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. So there's all those things that people can do directly with us. Join, join our social media platforms and share our posts if you think it's important. Share it, that kind of stuff. There's loads yeah. of things people can I don't do think people us. know anywhere near how much is going on that they can just join in and look at. I think this is lovely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, YouTube channel's got loads of talks on it, all sorts of things. But if they want to help at home, you know, they're not actually that keen on finding out more about seals. They just want to learn a bit more, really. Okay. Then there's a few things. Uh, if they happen to be out where there are seals, then always watch from a distance. Give seals space. 100 metres is an absolute minimum distance. But there are also two no-nos with seals, and that is never feed a wild seal. It changes their behaviour for life. And second, never is never put a seal back in the water. Never try and encourage it back into the water. If it's a pup and it's lost its mother, you'll doom it because it can never be rescued from the sea. Okay. And if it is with its mother, you've just put it back in the sea and there's a good chance its mum will never find it. So either way, that pup's now doomed. So never feed and never put a seal back in the sea. And then the stuff at home. There's four R's. Reduce, actually, I ought to add five, actually. It's refuse, reduce, reuse, recycle and redesign or repurpose stuff. So all of that, you know, plastics, get rid of your single use plastics, all that kind of stuff. Yep. If you eat fish, then eat local line caught, good seafood guide rated fish. Uh, basically, lobster pot shellfish. Try to avoid fish that's caught in nets because of the issues of bycatch and entanglement. And then with your toilet and your sink, which both have water that ends up in the sea, pee poo paper, preferably recycled paper down the toilet and preferably actually not paper, preferably toilet tissue that is made from something like, like bamboo. Yeah, absolutely. And then plant-based cleaners. So make yeah. sure that what you when you do your washing up, you have plant based stuff. When you do cleaning the toilet, you don't use bleach. You use a plant based alternative. And there's a great UK company called BioD who do all of these. Oh, I've used their stuff. Yes, yeah, it is very good. Nice. And it works. Yeah. And it works for sure. Uh, and it's much better for the environment. So to think about pee, poo, paper and plant based cleaners whenever you can. But the key thing, really, I've got a few take homes if you want go for it. Home messages. OK, so um, basically uh, key things that you can do or think about the biggest threats to our planet. 
I think, are blue blindness, not thinking about the sea, denial, apathy, can't be bothered, and myths and misconceptions. And there are a lot of myths and misconceptions. An example being, if a seal's on a rock and you're kayaking past and the seal comes off the rock and swims to the kayak, it hasn't come to you to say hello. <laughs> okay, it's come to you because it was too scared to stay on the land and it's now swum to you to check you out and see if you're a threat. Right. And you've disturbed it. Okay. So that's an example of a myth. I think our biggest mistake will be to prioritise ourselves over nature. And I think nature sustains us. We all know that. Without it, no food, drink or life. The planet doesn't need a plan B. It's a lump of rock. We do. We need yes. a plan B. The good That's news right. this, this earth this is going to keep going. It doesn't yeah. need to eat, sleep, drink. doesn't need a, to breathe. It doesn't need anything. We do. Rock. Yeah. Um, however, if we make space, nature moves in. And if we help nature, nature helps us. So they're fundamental messages. But the thing I worry about is I think we've missed the point. You hear all sorts of people saying it's about saving the environment and saving nature. And it's not. It's about saving ourselves yes. so that our young loved ones actually have a chance of a good life on a livable planet. And unless we take action now doing some of the things that I've mentioned, uh, you know, including things like turning down your thermostat, wearing more clothes, traveling less, all that kind of stuff to do with the climate, um, they're not going to have that chance. And we've only got eight years to do something about this. I think the problem is, well, we, we get a bit caught up in the fossil fuel stuff because nobody can turn off their energy overnight. No. And I don't think anybody realises that we don't have a green blue without the wildlife, without the biodiversity. You can, have a, you can have a gazillion electric cars if you've got no wildlife and you've got a warm planet. We're not driving those cars anywhere. There's gonna, it just isn't. And we need crops and we need the food and we need clean water. So... Again, you know, we've talked about an animal and, of course, everything is linked. And, I'm, you know, it's a simple thing, isn't it, by plant-based cleaners, but we don't think it's that important. However, we know it is now. So hopefully little changes like that times 65 million in the UK or, you know, seven point something billion in the world. It doesn't need to be everybody, but it can if it can be the majority it's going to make a huge difference. Yeah. So we're just about to release a film about climate change, you know, based on seals, but actually really talking about what we all need to do. Uh, and we just all need to do our bit. And one of the, the other things is, yes, we all need to act, but we also need to appeal to world leaders and UK leaders to make sure they make the right decisions. And we also need to write to UK corporations asking them to reduce their emissions because basically there are four UK companies and if they all reduce their carbon footprint it would make more of a difference than if every single household did it so yes every single household needs to do their bit we all need to do it but we also need to get big UK corporations to do the same so it just shows it's achievable though if they did it and everybody did a bit yeah. it's achievable yeah and that's sure. the, that's the main thing isn't it to know that we yeah. can do it yeah. When you when you do the film, would you send it along to us, please? Yeah, you know, we'd love to um put it out everywhere as well, and I'd love to see it. Yeah. Just bit, honestly, I, I knew I'd learn a lot, and I have, and I hope everybody does as well. I really do. 
there's lots of it. there's so much to think about there it's unbelievable thank yeah. you so much it's been an absolute pleasure thank you you're completely welcome and thank you for asking me to speak to you it's been lovely meeting you too mm-hmm.